be seated. Entitled, Adultery Divides a King. We live in a marvelous age. Um, everybody has cell phones. Most everybody has cell phones. And you can log in and look at anything in the whole world. Um, I was looking this morning at the devastation in Houston. And uh, you could have watched it real time, I think, on some of the networks. They were some of the guys standing out there and, and, and doing it. And if nothing, the cams were working. It's a marvel. We're able to translate languages. In fact, the Bible's well over a thousand languages translated. You're able to do so many things and travel all over the world if you want to. But it seems like in today's age, with all of this, we still seem to be so divided so terribly divided. And we can understand a little bit of it because there's so many worldviews, ideologies, whatever you want to call them, whatever you would like to call them. I've, I've put a list over there uh, that I had copied out of a book. Uh, I didn't put it on the computer, I mean up on the screen, because some of this stuff I've just written some things into and I'm not sure whether it's right or wrong. Maybe if you pick it up and you look at it, there's not a whole lot of copies over there, but if you're interested, it's the worldviews that we have and how divided we seem to be in the world that we live in. Of course, one of the worldviews is biblical Christianity. It's all over. People have Bibles, and even in China and different places. And yet, even under those circumstances, there's divisions. Even, even under those even in that area in the Bible. And we understand that secular humanism believes in atheism, um, socialism, Darwinian evolution. We have countries that are totally, completely communist, like Cuba, Russia, North Korea, China. So there's a lot of of division in the world. And of course, showing their ugly head into the world also now is the ISIS or the um, Islamic uh, religion uh, who believe in the Sharia law and the coming caliphate that will rule the world. So they don't believe in anything that we teach, and also what's really dividing and beginning to divide um, a lot of us are the LGBTQ and all the other initials that seem to go with that, and I, I try to fill that out as to what, because there's some columns in theology and philosophy and ethics and biology. I was having a hard time because I don't know where they fit, except God says that he does not. He considers it an abomination. 
when we come down to the personal things, personal stuff separates, divides, and separates us from one another. We're very familiar with Romans, the first chapter, but I, in the context of the idolatry that divides the kingdom, I pick it up here again and look at this Romans 1 and beginning in verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. And I don't, I'm just talking about even the whole world. Even if they've heard and they reject it, they don't retain God in their knowledge. God has given the world and, and many people over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Those things which divide, which cause a lot of problems which cause unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, envies, because they're full of them, murders, the murder rate, not only just here, but in the world, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without <clears throat> natural affection. I see that in so much in, in even mothers that won't take care of their children or abort their unborn children without natural affection. And even to the point where they leave their child in a car. That's without natural affection. Would have never thought about those things. Implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which can commit such things are worthy of death. Not only do the same, but have pleasure in them. And then on a personal level, we also see sometimes sin that comes in and separates even in marriages, between friends. We go to Galatians, the fifth chapter, and we'll just, just look at that real quickly. Because where I really want to focus today is on that final kingdom. But I want, to, I want us to understand these are the things that separate. These are the things that divide. These are the things that, that cause uh, problems for mankind and even between families and friends, husbands and wives. It says, now the works of the flesh, verse 19 of Galatians, the fifth chapter, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery. We see a lot of that going on today. Fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry. We'll be talking about that today. Idolatry and how it split and divided a kingdom. Witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath. Wow, is there ever a lot of wrath going on in the in our own society, in our own United States. Seems like everybody is upset and mad and wrathful. Strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness. We sure have a lot of problems with uh, individuals and drunkenness and taking drugs and different things. Revelings and such alike, of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in the time past, 
that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Those things separate. They divide us from God. Not only do they divide from friends and family and things, but they divide us from God. And we find that out in an example in the, in the scriptures that uh, will finish up my very shortened uh, look at the kingdom of the first few kingdoms of Israel. I'm going to read today out of um, the New Revised Standard Version. I apologize. It may not follow exactly with what we have up uh, on the screen today, but I hope you'll be able to follow. It's a little easier to read. Um, there's uh, some reading that I'll be going through today. And by necessity to be able to pull the whole story together, it does require a little bit of extra reading. But I think if you think about what was going on and how it happened, and by the way, I've got another chart over there, because when the kingdom was split and divided, um, there were many kings. And you can see that as you look, if, you, if you're interested, because they became the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel. And um, they did not always, they were not always contemporary. And so if you're reading through the kings and you don't know which ones are which, you might think they're a king of Judah or you might think they're a king of Israel. And if you don't, if you don't uh, really pay attention, because sometimes they were contemporaneous with each other but totally in separate kingdoms. So let's, let's pick it up in 1 Kings, and we're going to be looking at Solomon's sin, because that's what, the, what it was that the title was, the idolatry that divided a kingdom. King Solomon loved many foreign women, verse 1, along with the daughters of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord has said to the, uh, and to, the, uh, to the Israelites, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for they will surely incline your heart to follow their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. So he did what they wanted him to do, and they caused problems. So let's turn now to, to uh, let's go over to, to verse 9 of chapter 11, beginning in verse 9 and read through verse 11. Then the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this matter that he should not follow the other gods. But he did not observe what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been you're in your mind, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you. I will surely tear the kingdom from you and give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of your father David, I will not do it in your lifetime, and I will tear it out of the hand of your son. I will not, however, tear away the entire kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem which I have chosen. So here we see Solomon's sin, the idolatry that caused the sin to split the kingdom, to divide the kingdom. Now, 
for time's sake, I can't read everything. So hopefully, as I put this together, you'll still be able to pick it up. So here's Jeroboam, son of Nebat, an Ephraimite. This is verse 26 of chapter 11, and we're going to read 26 through 43. Jeroboam, son of Nebat, an Ephraimite of Zeradah, a servant of Solomon, whose mother's name was Zerah, a widow, rebelled against the king. The following was the reason he rebelled against the king. Solomon built the Milo and closed up the gap in the wall of the city of, the fa uh, of his father David. The man Jeroboam was very able, and when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he gave him charge over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. About that time, when Jeroboam was leaving Jerusalem, the prophet Ahijah, the Silonite, found him on the road. Ahijah had clothed himself with a new garment. The two of them were alone in the open country, and when Ahijah had laid hold on the new garment he was wearing and tore it in 12 pieces, he then said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself 10 pieces, four. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, See, I am about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon and will give you ten tribes. One tribe will remain for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city that I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. This is because he has forsaken me. Worship Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemoth, the god of Moab, Milcom, the god of the Amorites, and has not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight, and keeping my statutes and my ordinances, as his father David did. Nevertheless, I will not take the whole kingdom away from him, but will make him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose, and who uh, did keep my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom away from his son and give it to you, that is, the ten tribes. Yet to his son I will give one tribe, so that my servant David may always have a, a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I have chosen to put my name. I will take you, and you shall reign over all, of, uh, all that your soul desires. You shall be king over Israel. If you will listen. Now, there's, there's a lot of interesting words in the Bible. And one of the most interesting words in the Bible is the word if. I like the word if, because God uses it a lot. And so consequently, he will give these wonderful blessings and this tremendous thing, but he says, if you will do this. He says, if. If you will listen to all that I command you, to walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight by keeping my statutes and my commandments, as David my servant did, I will be with you and will build you an enduring house as I built for David. And I will give Israel to you. For this reason I will punish the descendants of David, but not forever. Solomon sought therefore to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam promptly fled to Egypt and to King Shishak of Egypt and remained in Egypt until the death of Solomon. Now the rest of the acts of Solomon, all that he did, as well as his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the Acts of Solomon? The time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years. Solomon slept with his ancestors 
and was buried in the city of his father David, and his son Rehoboam succeeded him. So we see that there was a promise given even to Jeroboam that if he followed the commandments of God, he would be blessed. We see that that does not happen. So let's pick it up now in in chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King uh, Solomon. Then Jeroboam returned from Egypt, and they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all the assembly of Egypt came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten our hard service for your father and his heavy yoke that he placed on us, and we will serve you. And he said to them, Go away for three days, and then come again to me. So the people went away. King Rehoboam took counsel with the older men, the older, wiser men, who had attended his father Solomon while he was still alive, saying, How do you advise uh, me to answer this people? They answered him and said, If you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you hear them, then they will be your servant forever. But... Rehoboam disregarded the advice that the older men gave him, counseled with the young men who had grown up with him and now attended him. He said to them, What do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, Lighten the yoke that your father has put on us? The young men who had grown up with him said to him, Thus you shall say to this people who spoke to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you must, <clears throat> or heavy, but you must lighten it. Us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Now, whereas my father laid on you heavy yoke, I will add to, you, to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, and I'll discipline you with scorpions. And so he was <clears throat> very, uh, very unwise. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king had said, Come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people harshly. He disregarded the advice that the older men had given him and spoke to them according to the advice of the young men. My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people because that it was a, uh, it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord has spoken by Ahijah, the Sh- Sh- Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So whenever, let's see, let's pick it up now here. Now that was one extra one. Let's, let's go to um, verse 21 now. Uh, <clears throat> the first dynasty, Jeroboam reigns over Israel. And this is a very interesting, um, what Jeroboam does in Israel as he takes those tribes into the northern part of the of of the promised land. When, verse 20, when all Israel had heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. There was no one who followed the house, uh, there was no one who followed the house of David except the tribe of Judah alone. When Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. So we have <clears throat> Judah and Benjamin. I mean, that's very key that Rehoboam also retained Benjamin, but he also uh, ended up with the Levites 
uh, which I, I don't know that I read it here, in, but he does end up with the Levites in Jerusalem. So, Benjamin, 180,000 chosen troops to fight against the house of Israel to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, son of Solomon. But the word of the Lord came to uh, Shemaiah, the man of God, say to King Rehoboam of Judah, son of Solomon, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin and to the rest of the people, thus says the Lord, you shall not go up to fight against your kindred, the people of Israel. Let everyone go home, for this thing is from me. So they heeded the word of the Lord and went home. So they avoided a civil war at that time, but not permanently. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and resided there. He went out from there and built Penuel. And then Jeroboam said to himself, Now the kingdom may well revert to the house of David if this people continues to go up and offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. The heart of this people will turn again to their master, King Rehoboam of Judah. They will kill me and return to Rehoboam of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves. Imagine. Where did he get that idea? Two calves. That sounds like you I read the book. When they uh, were at the base of the mountain and Israel made two calves. He said to the people, You have gone to Jerusalem long enough. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. He set one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one at Bethel and before the other far as Dan. He also made horse houses on high places and appointed priests from among all the people who were not Levites. Jeroboam appointed a festival on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the festival that was in Judah. And he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places that he made. He went up to the altar that he had made in Bethel. <clears throat> on the 15th day of the 8th month, in the month that he alone had devised, he appointed a festival for the people of Israel, and he went up to the altar to offer. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> How that, even from that historical perspective, we get some uh, paganistic holidays in different months and ignore the very days that God had set aside, his very festival days. And so, interestingly enough, this uh, uh, let's go now let's see let's pick it up um, I think I really went through all of the ones here let's go to chapter 14 now um, and uh, we'll pick up a few few verses here chapter 14 Verses 19 and 20. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he warred and how he reigned, are written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel. The time that Jeroboam reigned was 22 years, and then he slept with his ancestors, and his, nun, his son Nadab succeeded him. So in, uh, let's skip down to verse 29 and verse to 31. 
Now the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? There was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam continually. So even though God do, uh, was able to uh, keep a war from happening in the beginning, the Bible says they still warred all the way through the time that, that they reigned continually. So Rehoboam slept with his ancestors and was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. His mother's name was Nema, the Ammonite. His son, Abijam, succeeded him. So let's, uh, let's pick up three more verses here in chapter 15. Now in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, son of Nebat, Abijam began to reign over Judah. He reigned for three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Micah, daughter of Abysalem. He committed all the sins that his father did before him. His heart was not true to the, to the Lord his God like the heart of his father David. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem, setting up his son after him and establishing Jerusalem. Because David did that what was right in the sight of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life except the matter of Uriah the Hittite. And so we see from these two, uh, from Solomon's sin of idolatry, God considers idolatry very, very serious. So from Solomon's sin of idolatry, the division of the, of the two into the two nations was transpired. And of course, if you look at this chart, you'll see all of the different kings. In Israel, there was not one good king. From Jeroboam to the time that they were invaded and taken by the Assyrians, there was not one good king. Not one that followed after God. They kept all of the groves. They kept all of the, those those golden calves. In Judah, there were good kings. On and off, there were some bad and some good. And God blessed the good kings. And the lesson that we learn from that is that when we have good leaders and people that are considerate and try to do what is right, then we're blessed. And we get those leaders like Jeroboam or Rehoboam then there's, there's always problems, and there's war, and there's, there's trouble, and there's, there's different things. Now, because we can't just leave this hanging, can we? We have, to, we have to look at what is going to come into the future, because division in the world is, is rampant, as we were talking about earlier on, through this idea of the worldviews and all of the different ideologies that are out there, how is that all going to come about? How are we ever going to solve all these problems? And as they get worse and worse, are we going to all go to war? Well, the Bible says we are. And there will be a time of great tribulation. Great trials and great tribulation will come upon this world because of the sins that will be so rampant and are beginning to be that way right now. We have swords being rattled in different parts of the world. 
North Korea, Iran. These have always been problem areas since I was a child. North Korea since 1950, and I was two years old. <laughs> and it's been that way for ever since. We've had that demilitarized zone, and we've had military in Korea for all of that length of time. Of course, now we have more wars and more rumors of wars and more problems in the United States and around the world. And we have the movement of the Islamic jihadists in various and different places. And it just seems like that things um, are getting worse. Although I, I know when I was a teenager and also uh, earlier I remember some of the things that were going on in, uh, just before the Vietnam War and how it seemed like devastation was going to happen. And it didn't. It wasn't quite time yet. God has his timetable. He knows when things are going to come about and he will intervene. And there will come a time of great peace upon this earth. We know there will be a great tribulation before that and we've studied that in Matthew the 24th chapter and we know all about that. But I want to go to, to, the, to Isaiah. I read this a lot and the reason why I read it is because I want all of us to be encouraged. I want us to know that no matter what the divisions, no matter how difficult the world may seem, someday, one day, this earth is going to have great and wonderful peace. There will be a thousand years in which Christ will reign and we'll reign with him. And not only that, but we will be bringing the truth of this word, this, this very book. And I think that's uh, important for us to understand it and to really understand so that we are prepared for that day when we are going to have to teach others. We may have to use a little force, but I think one of those, those days are going to come and we're going to be blessed in being able to teach the others these beautiful things that are in this book and how to live one with another. He says in verse 2 of chapter 4 of Isaiah, On that day the branch of the Lord shall be... Let's see, that's chapter 4. Wrong one. That's a good one too, but that's not the right one. In the days to come, I'll tell you what, let me read this one in the King James. I take that back. I like that, and that sounds good, but I do like the way that the King James puts it together. Chapter 2, verse 2. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. So understanding that we still will have nations and that there will still be various individuals that will be a part of those nations and they will come. They will come to Jerusalem because that's where all of it will be established. There will be sovereignty established by God in that area. And many people shall go and say, Come you, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of, of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. It is going to take the power of God to bring division and, and, and completely destroy the divisions that are in the world. And the, the worldview will be the view 
that God brings to this earth. It will be the teaching of Jesus Christ on this earth. The understanding of this word. We won't have all the ideologies and the different understandings. They will understand this word. They will understand the truth. We will educate them in this way. And it will be a powerful message to the world. And there will be rejoicing and happiness and greatness that will be on the earth. The last part of this, because there is a need for judgment. We see sovereignty, education, and then judgment. And he shall judge among the nations, shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. And nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. One of the things that we see today is the rattling of swords. And these swords are powerful swords. They can destroy civilizations. They can completely wipe out whole civilizations. So we know that, that uh, it is going to be a day in which we will have to judge these nations. And we'll have the power to do it. We'll have the power to also eliminate all need for learning of war. And they will be learning peace. How important that will be for all of us. The Bible is filled with examples, brethren. Lots of different examples for us to learn from. By learning about the kings of Israel, learning about the history, not only of them, but of our own history, we can gain some strength, and we can also gain an understanding of our own character, our own future, our own past. All of those things can be gained from God's word and the truth that he has provided for us.